Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Hello and welcome to Facebook Live, Montana's Peer Network Recovery Talks Live podcast. I don't know, we're calling it all kinds of things these days. Welcome and thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Jim Haney, Executive Director. I'm Amanda Walton, Peer Services Coordinator. I haven't been on one of these in quite a while now. I was thinking about when was the last time. It's been it's been a few months that I since I've been on one. You've done you've done a bunch since then, I think, right, Amanda? Uh, yeah, I've done several recently. Yeah, yeah. So it's fun. <laughs> so so today we're gonna talk about, Amanda and I are gonna talk about uh, youth peer support, our experiences as youth and why this is important. But before we get into that conversation, as you know, if you you tune in regularly to our podcast, uh, you know, we talk about events. On uh, Wednesday, the 17th, we have our Realizing Recovery webinar series. And again, we're, this is gonna be a youth focus. And we have, a, we have a special guest that's coming on, or guests, it might even be guests, it might even be more than one, uh, that's gonna, they're gonna come on and talk about something really special that MPN's been working on. Um, we're really excited. We're focusing you know, on youth this month. This is something Montana's Peer Network has had kind of in the works for a while. So that's noon on Wednesday, the 17th, Realizing Recovery webinar, special guest. And then on the 24th, we have Facebook Live again, and that's also going to be youth focused and it's at 6 p.m. So on the 24th of March, 6 p.m., we're gonna have a special guest on there too. Um, and again, uh, youth focused, we're super excited. We're working on some pretty cool things here and uh, yeah, spotlighting youth peer support and youth advocacy this entire month. And so let's jump into it, Amanda. This is our really our topic um, the importance of youth peer support and why, why is that important? Can we just jump in there? Absolutely. So personally, I, I'm a mother of four children. I, three of them are youth and realizing that they, they have some very unique struggles. Um, yes, I can identify with certain experiences as all parents can, but it's still a different world today than it was whenever we were growing up, right? And, you know, identifying with them on that and, and being aware of their needs, you know, they're our future and that reaching them now is how we're going to impact future positive change when it comes to recovery and healing. And, you know, that's, that's huge. It, the impact of trauma that they experience, whether it's, you know, whether it's from home um, and the various, the various kinds of trauma, because we, we can be traumatized in different ways. And it's the way that we experience it individually and, you know, whether we internalize it, whether we seek help. And when we're youth, we tend to not seek help. And that happens 
more and more because people just feel isolated and alone, like they have nobody to identify with. And, you know, even, even the, I even hate, I hate to say the word best parents, but the most involved parents, maybe that's a better way to say it. Even the most involved parents, there's a disconnection between them and their children because we're, we're authority figures to them. And we're not out there with them in their everyday life, at their schools, in their social settings. We don't always know what happens and what goes on. We, we may see the aftermath of it and try to guide from home, but they also realize and recognize that, that a lot of times we're going through our own stuff, especially if, if we are trauma survivors ourselves. And you know they are very intuitive and they know when something that they have going on will, will impact us and will just immediately go into fix it mode, you know, and that's, that's something that in our own lives, we don't want, we don't need, we're not broken. Uh, we just need somebody to, to identify with us and that we can be accepted and feel part of a community or learn coping skills. Cause that's, that's another big piece. You know, a lot of times we, we go through school, reading, writing, arithmetic, science, we don't learn how to cope with life on life's terms. And so we're, we're in culture shock whenever stuff happens and it, it, it can be really detrimental. Yeah, I, you know, you bring up a lot of good points there. I mean, you know, why do you think it is that we don't teach, you know, resiliency skills? Because that's what you're talking about, right? Coping skills is how, how resilient we are to overcome challenges that we face mentally, emotionally, you know, socially. Why do you think it is we don't teach that in schools? Why is that not part of the reading, writing, arithmetic you know, that's something I've wondered for a while, but there's also, as an adult, knowing my own struggles um, that I've had and knowing what other families and other adults are going through, you know, how can, how can somebody teach something that they have no knowledge of? It's not taught unless you're going through psychology or some kind of mental health field. And a lot of times, you know, professionals may or may not have lived experience and you can, you can have all the book knowledge in the world, but until you go through something and you experience pain, that's whenever you're able to recognize it and, and use your experience to help others get through their own pain. And people don't wanna recognize what's painful. That's not what we wanna, that's not traditionally anyway, what, what seems to be the focus of education. It's, it's getting to higher, you know, higher schools of learning and getting degrees that provide you with acronyms behind your name and prestige and trauma and pain and reaching outside of ourselves to cope with things through substances and other addictive habits and behaviors, you know, that touches people from all walks of life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I, when I was 16, that, that was uh, really when things start my, uh, you know, what medicine would call symptoms, symptoms started coming out. I was 16 and I remember uh, I, I wrote a note uh, to my girlfriend and told her I felt like killing myself. And uh you know, I didn't know what that feeling was. Somewhere around that time, I put those pieces together. I didn't actually know what those feelings were. I finally was able to identify it. So, you know, I told the closest person to me. So 
anyway, so she tells her parents, her parents tell mine. And, and it's really funny when I look back at it, uh, it wasn't funny at the time, but at the, when I look back, I mean, my parents sat me down and said, um, what's this all about? You know? And I was like, I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have the words. And, and they're like, okay, do you want to see a counselor? And I was like, no, because I had seen a counselor when I was younger. And they're like, okay, well, stay home from school for a couple of days, <clears throat> and then you can go back to school on Monday. Right? And it was never really even talked about beyond just the basics. So, you know, that stayed with me and just sort of churned in me, you know, right? Like it didn't, that it was, it was almost useless. Like, I, I guess the couple of days staying home was great, but it was just so pointless. And it just like built up, built up, built up, you know, until, until I, I got into my uh, 20s, I was 21, right? But by then, you know, I, I was drinking to, to cope and it, it hadn't changed. I still felt the exact same way, right? And I just think, you know, that's why I asked the question is, why do you think we don't teach that in school? Because imagine if we had a class in high school, you know, maybe it's uh, junior seniors kind of thing, where we talked about these things like resiliency and like, life is hard and people have these feelings and you know you're going to experience these things and here's some skills for you and man that would have been a lifeline for me for sure right um because then by then i had six years you know my first suicide attempt i was 21 so you know by then i had six years of that sort of churning inside right and the coping was oh, i'm just going to drink to mask all that stuff. And I know you and I talked about this, right? That if we were to intercede in young people's lives sooner, we prevent all this stuff that happens down the road, don't we? Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, in, in my own experience, I, I shut myself off whenever I was growing up because I didn't want to be a disappointment to my parents. I didn't want them to, to see me as a failure or, you know, maybe even myself, maybe admitting to them the struggles that I was having would have, maybe that's what it represented to me. That's, you know, that seems to be what I recall at this point, but had I had someone to identify with that was my age, that instead of self, because of the, the things that I was feeling, you know, I, I had one really close friend and she, she was very supportive and we're friends to this day, even if we're 1500 miles away from each other. But in those situations for me anyway, it was almost like, well, she's my friend. She has to tell me what I want to hear. She has to be supportive. You know, and my parents the same, they had to be supportive because they're my parents and that's their responsibility, right? But there's also, I felt so uncomfortable in my own skin and so out of place. And my mind was blown in my early thirties, whenever I was in contact with other people I'd been in school with and found out, guess what? They'd experienced the same feelings. They'd, <laughs> and, and so it's, we're not alone. It's a universal 
you know, when we're, when we're youth, we are identifying, we are defining our very uh, experience. We are figuring out who we are. And if, if we can identify with other people and other youth our age who are doing the same thing, we're not going to feel the need to be so separate. And knowing that we will be unconditionally accepted, because you know that's that's one thing that peer specialists do. We we provide unconditional acceptance for those that we support, because we know the struggle is real whenever you are going through something. And what, if, even if somebody doesn't else doesn't perceive it the same way, it's very real to us when we're going through it. And and so if I'd had somebody else that would have identified with me on that level. Um, that because they want to, right? It would have it would have changed a lot of things for me. I can venture to say because you know I was I was a prisoner in my own mind and at war with myself for a very very long time, and that led to a lot of unhealthy choices and behaviors until I finally realized that I had to choose something different to make a better experience. So, you know, being someone in recovery now, my kids, they need to have people in the community that are their age that they can identify with because they have some very unique experiences that I have. Some of the terminology and some of the stuff that they go through, just I, I can't even begin to identify with or understand. Sure. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, in, in Montana, we have, you know, the peer network, we, we're building a, a pretty robust adult peer support, right, in provider agencies and community health centers. And <clears throat> I mean, this is really beginning to, to spread out, but we're not focused on youth peer support. You know, we, we don't have a, a pool of money, right, for agencies to be able to offer young people a job, a stipend, you know, to, to implement these programs. So that's, I see that as one piece of it. And, and then I think the other piece is that, you know, can young, you know, I get this question a lot, can, can, there's a stigma around, can young people support other young people, right? Which is the same question you and I get, can we support other, you know, right? Like just yesterday, you know, somebody asked, well, can a peer supporter work in a crisis system? Can a peer supporter work in a detention center? Can a peer support it, right? Like, so it's the same question, you know, it's, it's really the same thing. It's about the stigma around people <clears throat> like ourselves who have a diagnosis and we identify as being in recovery. Are we really qualified? And I right, do that with the air quotes, right? And it's that lived experience part. So that's, that's always my response is that, okay, so if you had a young person who was 18, 19 years old, who <laughs> who had a lived experience, why couldn't they support somebody who was 16 or 17 or 18 or nine? like, it's the same principle, but society's not, I, I don't know if they're quite there. And I, I, you know, I can only speak for my experience here in Montana, but I'm not sure if they're quite there. I think there's still, there's still a little ways to go with educating people and showing them examples, don't you think? No matter how progressive us parents, adults in general may be, we still discredit our youth. We don't give them the credit they deserve for 
being smart, you know, if, if we are overcomers, then they are too. And if we can be supportive for our families and our social circles and members of our community by identifying with them and mind you, that provides more of an impact to somebody than just going to see somebody who has, you know, a counselor or whatever, I'm not, not dissing counseling or anything like that it, in any way, because that's helpful for me. But whenever I found that there were other people out there like me, that was, that was, it was a game changer, you know? Um, and there's a, there's an old saying that the truth comes from the mouths of babes. And sometimes their, their willingness to be honest and open sometimes us parents we we have a problem with that because we're like shut your mouth you don't talk to me like that right but there's truth behind it and they're just speaking their truth and you know if they're in a place where they can do that and we as parents don't don't take it as um being disrespectful or whatever but cultivate that you know that's that's huge because whenever we shut them down we shut them up and we, we create a barrier of communication and it takes people that they are constantly with in their everyday life and their everyday experiences that we miss whenever we're at work and they're at school to, to help get them through the most difficult experiences that they have because they're the ones that are right there in the thick of it with them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think that, you know, I really would like to see in the, in the next couple of years a, a real push to begin implementing youth peer support across Montana. And I, I don't know. I don't know if schools are the place that should be, or it should be in the community where you would get the support after school and weekends, evenings kind of thing that I'm not, I'm not quite sure about. But we do need to get serious about this and we really need to, you know, one of the things we did on the adult side was, you know, we did some pilot projects, you know, you go test it out, you know, some funding to try this out in a couple different settings and have some, you know, young adults trained up, you know, and, and see what happens if they were to run support groups and do some one-on-ones with people and provide support. I wonder, <clears throat> what the outcomes might show, you know, in a year, 18 months or 24 months, because we've been ignoring it for too long. You know, when the, when the Medicaid uh, bill for uh, peer support came through in 2019, the very first thing the legislature did was cut out the money for youth and families. That was the first thing they did. First committee did it right off the bat. And it sends a real message, you know, that has really stuck with me that, you know, there's this idea that we can't somehow apply it. And I, I, I totally disagree with it. I think we need to for all of these reasons we're talking about. Um, because what ends up happening, right, is, is what you and I are sort of describing. The adult system pays for it a decade later, or two decades later, or three decades later, or four decades later, or whatever it is, right? <clears throat> the person ends up in our state hospital or um, substance use facilities or the correctional system. And, and there's all the trauma that happens in their life, all the broken family and, and marriages and relationships and job losses and housing issues. 
And, and much of that can be traced back to when the person is young. And if we were actually interceding then, maybe we could actually change that. And, and boy, you know, what would society look like if we actually focused in that area? So yeah, we're we're right on the same page, Jim, because you know, we, we're experiencing a paradigm shift in the healing and recovery movement. And what not just not just examples and, and statistical data for demonstrations that can happen now and, and seeing that in a couple of years, but what about years from now? That's that's what I was just thinking, you know. If if our youth today can start learning that it is okay to feel it is okay to not be okay we have to and 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 in fact it's it's more helpful for us to identify our feelings so that we can work through them and actually address what's going on instead of stifling them and becoming prisoners to them as we get older you know what kind of shift are we going to start experiencing in the years to come because the problems that are happening now are a direct result of our experiences when we were younger you know, adverse childhood experiences, whether they're at home, whether they're at school, out in this, in the community, social settings, however it occurs, you know, what we're living through now and experiencing as a society is a direct result of us not taking care of ourselves and addressing problems that we had when we were younger. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So MPN is doing a, a call out to our members you know, if you're, if you're a member and you're a young adult, 18 to 24, and you're interested in this conversation Amanda and I are having, we're, we're looking for members in that age group who are interested in youth peer support. We've got a bunch of projects going on and, and we're working on some things. And again, we have a webinar coming up next week, the 17th, and then we have a, a Facebook Live the 24th, but we're looking for some young people to get involved, you know? I'm not a young person anymore, and we need some young people to be involved with these projects. Now they're to the place where we really need their input to take them forward, because ultimately we, we need to have young people, young adults, come together and begin to raise their voice, right? Just like we did with peer support, right? Was those of us came together and began speaking about this, the importance of it. So we're here to mentor and train and help support that effort but people like amanda and i can't be the people leading that we need young people to come to come to the table and do that and you'll know that you're in a good safe um, supportive environment with montana's peer network we're committed to this but we need you we need some young people to step up and uh and get involved and help help be the leaders of the future Exactly. Change starts with one and together we change the world, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and, and I say this sometimes in trainings, you know, I, I remind people this fact that, you, you know, there's going to come a day where I'm not the director of Montana's peer network. It, it's one of the people in one of our trainings. It's one of the leaders that are developing right now. You know, that's who's going to be the, the next director. And, I, you know, and, and it could be you, it could be you listening right now. I mean, it could be anybody, I mean, right? And that that's that's possible, you know, right? I mean, I think back when I was young and in my early twenties and, you know, I, I, I had no idea this was the path that I was going to take. And 
you might be feeling the same way. What do I have to contribute? But if you're interested in this and this is something that is sparking ideas for you or reach out, you know, send an email and let us know and, and, and we'll get you involved. Absolutely. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So any last thoughts or uh, comments you want to make, uh, Amanda? You know, we, we've covered a lot and we've covered some really important background and, you know, our youth today are our tomorrow and focusing on, on the needs that they have and identifying with, with others and finding a sense of community and changing the way that, that we feel and, and approach substance use and mental health. It, it starts with, with youth right now. And um, that's, that's how we're gonna see lasting change. So yes, please reach out. And we are, we're starting this groundbreaking journey together and it's gonna be fun and it's gonna be painful at times, I'm sure for some, but it's going to be gross and it's gonna be beautiful and it's definitely needed. Great. Thanks so much for tuning in to another one of our podcasts and on and this one on Facebook Live. Again, uh, tune in. We do Facebook Lives every two weeks. We do podcasts every week. Please tune in. Check out our website for other trainings and member calls and uh, get involved. Thanks so much. Bye. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works. Recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. <laughs> recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery is possible.